Welcome to the Inspiring Humans podcast. We are so happy to have you listening. My name is Stephanie Willard, and this podcast is a platform to showcase the incredible human spirit. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing people from all over the world and all walks of life who will be sharing with us their personal dreams and their dreams for the future. I believe that through coming together and creating community, incredible things are possible. In fact, anything is possible. And I hope that this podcast is a launch pad for creating the new world that we want to see that will have humanity free, thriving and living in their full self-expression. So it's awesome to be here today with Rick Boland from uh, Manor Youth Projects, who, which is all about youth mentoring. And Rick, I heard about you recently from a friend, Ange, who shared a bit of your incredible work that you do with youth um, here in the Mornington Peninsula and all the way to Frankston, was it? Yep. Uh, yep. Around the Bay as well. Um, and yeah, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me, Steph. So I'd love to, you know, just hear in your own words what it is that you do exactly at Manor Youth Projects and a bit bit about, you know, your background and what led you to creating Manor Youth Projects. Yeah, sure. I um, It's a bit of a long story, but I'll, I'll, try, and, I'll try and not ramble on. I'm a bit of a, an old classic rambler, um, which the young people love because <laughs> most of them are ramblers as well. So we get along well, but our sessions tend to go a bit over. Um Anyway, yeah, so Money Youth Projects is basically a grassroots youth mentoring service. So when I say grassroots, um, I don't mean I just walk around and do my mentoring barefoot, although in summer, if I can, I will. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's right community, right at the community level. So meeting the community where they're at, whether, you know, whatever socioeconomic factors come into that we're there we we don't have government funding um we are a non-government uh or, you know service organization it's very much like a social enterprise so um our services do cost uh but some of that you know a percentage of that goes back in into the community either through our, us developing our own resources to get out into the community um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, our payment model, that was a bit difficult to do at the start because I've been doing this for four years um, and I'd done it for, you know, for absolutely nothing the first two years, but it just wasn't sustainable. So I had a few options um, in order to grow that. One was to go down the not-for-profit route. Um, that just seemed like a bit of a, a stuff around, lots of red tape lots of bureaucracy and it sort of would uh, deviate us away from that grassroots philosophy. Um, so we went, we went with the social enterprise model, which is half business, half, you know, community minded. Um, it allows us to do what we want to do without that bureaucracy and without things getting in the way, without having to tailor our programs to, you know, funding niches which I think locks more people out than it does to include them. Um, the way we had to look at it was the current narrative that was going around, which was, yeah, 
mainstream services and government services, uh, council services are free because they have the funding. But a lot of the parents and young people we were speaking to um, weren't satisfied. They, they, it's kind of like they were, they were getting it for free, but it was a very thin veneer of service delivery. Um, and one of the biggest things that we encountered was young, par uh, young people and parents, um, you know, really disenfranchised with having to go on massive waiting lists and having the young person build a connection with their, their counsellor or their, their youth worker or social worker, only to find in a couple of months down the line that that person has moved on or moved into a new you know, position or been rotated out, and they've got to start all over again. And, you know, from, from the horse's mouth, young people said, we don't want to keep going over the same traumas, the same bad experiences all from the start. So we just start making stuff up so we can get into the session and get out again um, and not have to open up these, these nerve endings these wounds again, only to have a Band-Aid put over it. You know, I call it, um, you know, the, the, big, the big thing these days is holistic health. I call that ballistic health. So it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Um, it's gonna cover it up, but the bullet's still in there. So once that Band-Aid's removed, it's just gonna start bleeding again, right? Um, so yeah, that's, that's the long and short of it. We. I created money, I say we collectively, it's just been me running it the last four years. I just say we because I sort of include the community in that. Um, that's and what every good entrepreneur is we. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> um, just, I might just interrupt you there because I think you just touched on a few really interesting points and I don't want to kind of lose that train of thought. Yeah, um, sure. That's really fascinating and you've kind of reminded me of a whole different you know, a couple of years of my life a while ago where I was a lead tenant and I was with young people through Melbourne City Mission and mm. it, it's absolutely true what you're saying. It's, it was really sad to see. I was kind of new to it and uh, which says something about the lead tenant system to begin with. Do you know what I mean? They have lead tenants that have never had any qualification in looking after young people. I was um, like, I think I was uh, probably late, 20s when I was a lead tenant and it was it kind of it it blew me away because I wasn't prepared to for it I wasn't ex expecting um some of these kids before they reached the legal age which I think was 17 18 at the time yeah. um uh put in these houses with lead tenants where um you know I would I got familiar with them and got to kind of connect with them quite well towards the end but mm. that wasn't the case for all of them and all the lead tenants and it was a long process of winning their trust and and you'd kind of see them going to all these appointments and there was no consistency and no uh, solid consistent mentor in their lives to, mm. the, to inspire to, yeah to inspire them and to and then you know once they reached the age all of a sudden they were out and it was like see you later then they had to find mm -hmm. their own place to live and I just remember feeling like well this is so far beyond me and like you know how can I make a difference in this broken system where these kids are just you know what's going to become of them in future and it was really really sad 
what they were dealing with in their lives. Like I remember one of the, um, uh, you know, the girl was her her father. Um, she went home like once a year, and her father said that he didn't have enough money for petrol to come and collect her from the train station. She was about to have a, a three-hour train ride to that station to meet the family, and uh, mm. so she didn't know how she was going to get from the train station, you know, ten minutes down the road to the family house, and just all of these barriers and um, really, really sad, you know, practical things that they didn't have help with and all that sort of thing. And, and yeah, so I just wanted to touch on that with the point you made about lots of free things out there, but so, so many gaps, which can be detrimental for these young people. And to, to even just riff on what you were saying back, um, you know, I, I know recently that that age has been um, moved up to 21, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, you know, being 17, 18, and that age cap of transitioning out of those services and finding yourself out in the world with, you know, <laughs> the possibilities are pretty small. Um, become, you know, turning 18 should be a, a happy, empowering, exciting transition into young adulthood, not a fear-based thing. We shouldn't have to fear turning 18 because I might be out on the streets or I might have to go back to the family home where there's violence or sexual abuse or drugs. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a frightening thing and I can only imagine how you felt in that position of knowing, well, my hands are tied and I can't continue to see this person outside of work. And I think when I was getting my youth work qualifications, I think they spend a lot more time trying to scare you <laughs> um, out of it than empowering you and giving you the tools to um, be able to deal with those, those times of approach and ordeal for young people. Um, I mean, they, you know, just as, as I was a student and I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. Um, you know, those boundaries are there to protect you, protect the young person, protect the organisation you're working for, don't let them contact you outside of office hours shut them off from social media. And I thought, oh, I get it, until I got my qualification and I was out here in the community and a young person reached out to me at 11.30 at night on the end of Rosebud Pier and said, oh, I want to kill myself. And I, there was like a bit of a mental, spiritual and ethical crossroads in that moment where I thought, no way am I going to say, call me back tomorrow because there might not be a tomorrow. Um, so that's when I, I thought, you know, that and a few, you know, yuck situations with the place I was doing my placement at, those two things combined were really the birth of Money Youth Project. Um, to, you know, that's, what, that's where our headline came from, build bridges, not walls. Yeah, have those boundaries with those young people and those families you're working with, but don't shut them out because mental anguish and dis-ease in young people's hearts, they don't have opening and closing times. So there might not be a tomorrow. So mm -hmm. if you're able to, and it's safe to do so, and they're made aware of the boundaries. Yeah, I've sat on beaches with young people at midnight when they're catatonic. Um, I've walked young people home at night from parties where they felt threatened or, um, you know, at risk of doing something silly they've called me and gone Rick I know you live nearby 
can you walk me home or you know help me out sure thing mm, amazing so you're born and bred in rosebud on the I am, yeah. in victoria and so before you had these few experiences that that birthed the Mana Youth Project, what were you doing before that, and what were the, what was kind of the lead up to that? Mm. So, I let, I dropped out of school in year ten. Um, you know, I think like a lot of young people, I thought I was too cool for school um, until I got out and realised, scary out here, man. You know, um, but then I, I just I was just wandering wandering the streets no purpose, whatever, discovered the local library the first time I'd ever been in there. Wandered in, you know, wearing some baggy FUBU clothes, you know, like a <laughs> wannabe gangster, um, completely out of place, out of my element. Um, just started reading, started hiring out books, got a library card. What, what an empowering thing that is for a high school dropout to get a, a library card. Um, started using the computers, started researching, started, you know, and that's where my real education began. So I went through my own mental stuff uh, throughout my 20s. Uh, a lot of, you know, I had two consecutive mental breakdowns in my early 20s. Um, and, you know, the resulting depression, social anxiety, existential crisis that comes with all of that. Um, so, I, you know, I went through all of that. Um, and when I came out the other side, I thought, hang on, so what, what now? Um, where am I going? What am I doing? Who am I? <laughs> sort, of, sort of like, who am I without my depression? Who am I without my anxiety? <laughs> How do I fill those gaps um, that have been sort of robbed from me? Um, so, you know, I, I wondered a little bit, bit of a bit of a vagabond, you could say. Um, until I, I was doing a, like a job training thing with Serena Russell, I think it was at the time, in my mid-20s. And um, this man came in for, as a guest speaker and he was, you know, bald head, uh, in his 60s, dressed in a, you know, a sharp suit. And I thought, oh, this guy, seen one, seen them all kind of thing. Just a business guy come to tell us job seekers what you should do and how you should do it. Until he started talking and realised that, hang on, that's not his gig. Afterwards, he said, look, I'm going to stick around for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If anyone wants to chat, then I'll, I'll stay around and we can chat. Everyone left and to have their cigarettes and stuff. And I, there was a little sort of bit of kindling in me that those words sparked, you know. Um, so I, I went, uh, how you doing, you know. Uh, um, and he, the first thing he asked me was, what is holding you back from moving on in life? And I was wearing a shirt and I had these really crappy backyard tattoos from when I was younger that I got, you know, done in someone's kitchen. Um, and I had one on my neck as well. As you can see that, you know, there's nothing there now. I said, these tattoos, uh, they're really hard, you know, trying to find a job, got this big ugly tattoo on my neck. He said, cool, well, you know, connect with me. Let's connect on Facebook. 
I let a week or two pass and I was a bit, oh, I don't know about this guy, <laughs> you know, what does he want? Um, and I reached out and he responded straight away. Um, I said, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about, you know, what we, we chatted about. He said, well, let's look into laser tattoo removal. And I said, what? <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, let's set it up. So, you know, fast forward two years later, I've got these tattoos removed completely. Um, the set every, there was a session every two months. He would come and pick me up from Frankston, take me up there. We'd go out for lunch beforehand and he'd sit with me through the whole process. Um, and yeah, we, we got these tattoos removed and it was a big sort of emancipation from the person I, I got them off um, and to move forward. And that was my first exposure to mentorship and it blew my world apart. So that was the, that was the real, the real beginning of it. I just didn't know it until a couple of years later. Yeah, that's a really powerful story of um, just kind of starting with the needs of the people that you're trying to serve. And, um, you know, he was just kind of there for you uh, to help you with whatever your needs were at that time. And mm. I think, you know, that by the sounds of, you know, just what you've shared with me briefly about what you do, that's what your model is for young people starting yeah. where they're at and, um, you know, work, working from there. So can you share a little bit about more about your model both because uh, I find it really interesting that you chose to do the social enterprise model rather than the traditional, you know, charity model. Um, that's a really interesting topic. And also, what is your model in terms of how do you work with young people? Mm. Yeah, so um, firstly, to, to riff off that uh, social enterprise model versus not-for-profit uh, or charity, um, it was hard at first trying to be like... to first to place value on my work, just being a newly qualified youth worker, um, stepping into the mainstream and going, oh, I, don't, I don't quite fit. <laughs> There's something about me that doesn't quite fit in this mainstream. Um, and then to create something new and then to think, how do I charge for this against being able, people being able to keep their money and access these free services. Um, so it took me two years to, to get to that point of being like, no, I need to charge for this, but how do I do it without sounding like, you know, I've, I had places like Headspace and um, a couple of other services try and pull me down. And I think if you aren't pissing someone off or scaring someone, you're not doing it right, you know, um, there was something new on the scene. So I started thinking, what is the major thing that stops people from reaching outside of the, the known mainstream. Fear, guilt, shame, but I was also hearing a lot from parents about services sort of taking, sort of taking that power and that empowerment away from families when their young people engage with their services. So I thought, okay, okay. Um, what about offering them something so good and so different that it kind of shocks them and then trying to change that narrative of you may be getting free services, 
but what is your young person getting out of it? Is it actionable? Is it consistent? So I just started talking to my community. What are the shortcomings of the services you're currently going into? The same thing, no consistency, not actually feeling like my young person's getting anything actionable out of it. And the third, I don't feel empowered as a parent. Some parents even being told, you need to be more proactive about your children. You know, that's totally disempowering because parents are already feeling like if, if their kids are accessing services, they're already feeling these emotions of shame and guilt. Am I letting my kid down? Um, could I be doing more? They're doing the best they can. A lot of them. I'm not going to never say all of them because there are some parents that I've sort of seen and witnessed and I'm like, these kids need support. But a lot of the parents I do encounter, they're doing their best and to be to reach out. And I, look, I'm not going to make a gender issue out of this, but I notice when I meet with parents, a lot of the dads are a bit sort of stonewalled, you know, their arms are crossed. It's kind of, and you just speak directly to them and you're like, I really respect you for reaching outside of your family to access help. And especially when it's something unknown like my work, which was at the time, um, how can I help? How can I empower you to be a mentor to your son beyond already being a father who he already looks up to? And they relax and they go, oh, gee, this is a different language. So then the narrative started changing. All right, I can pay some money. I can invest and have some skin in the game with the way my young person's supported and I can be involved. Oh, maybe I can stop smoking. Maybe I can stop drinking. Maybe I can stop buying weed or, or maybe you cancel that, you know, maybe downgrade the family Netflix to standard definition or something like that. So we're starting to see now a change and that is where the narrative mentorship framework came from. Um, and now our, our whole family approach is a whole family mentorship. So Money Youth Project will go out to families and meet them where they're at, like we talked about earlier. Let's see who we can draw in from the immediate family, community and friends and, you know, of that young person, of that family. Can Nan pitch in some money? Can Granddad pitch in some money? Uncle Joe? No, auntie, you know, we, we, we really look at that Indigenous approach to family support. You know, the Hawaiians have that, that belief of ohana, extended family, the family that you make. So in our program, one of the sessions is around sociograms, teaching young people who is in their inner circle, outer circle, what your role is in your life at the centre of that and who is who can you lean on. So by... We, we sort of kill two birds with one stone, for lack of a better term. We meet the family where they're at. The family pitches in and they're all invested and become stakeholders in that mentorship. They're getting educated on what mentorship is and the young person also knows, hang on, I thought that my family didn't give a shit and here they are now investing in my mentorship, in my journey, they're going to be in my sociogram where I might not have even included them at all beforehand. So that empowers parents. And then it's such a weird 
paradox in saying that by having families pay money for our program empowers them. <laughs> it sounds funny. It's, it's a bit of a juxtaposition because um, I've had people go, what do you mean? How does, how does them having to pay money empower them? It just sounds like you're taking advantage of them. Um, and I questioned it at first, but then the model is strong now. The framework is strong and the results from putting it into action in our community and integrating into these families to mentor their kids, but also support them is becoming the new, you know, the emperor's new groove. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, if I could look at it back four years when I started and the fear and anxiety around approaching parents to have them invest in mentorship compared to now, it's just chalk and cheese. That's, that's incredible. I'm really craving to hear a story or a personal story, if you feel comfortable to share of, um, you know, understanding more the touch points of how you actually meet these kids, how they hear about you, what mm. that journey looks like. And then, yeah, how do, how do you kind of um, build that relationship and start working with them? And, and what are the different ways that you work with different kids? Yeah, of course. Um, after pull one out of the reservoir. <laughs> um, so at, at, at first, it was kind of luck, dumb luck. I've got this new philosophy, this, this new thing. I'm going to throw a, a fishing line out into the community and, and see, you know, what's out there, who, who I'm going to attract. I'm not going to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to avoid words like, who am I going to catch? Who am I going to lure in? Because <laughs> that sounds horrible. But you, you, get, you get the point. Um, in the most supportive way possible, um, I guess, in the way Rex Hunt might fish, you know, give the, the fish a kiss and throw it back in the water. Um, so very much word of mouth. And I, you know, I started working with young people, just meeting them in the community who I'd encountered in this place where I was doing my placement. I'm not going to name names. Um, and they got told things like I'd moved on from them, which wasn't true. And then I started seeing the community. That was my first youth group. Um, that was about four or five kids who were all tired of <laughs> where they were at. And they thought, oh, this is cool. Um, who is this guy, you know? But um, yeah, it's, and then it, it just sort of rolled from there. And I can't even really pinpoint the first family I worked with um, just through Facebook just getting used to using Facebook not to just look at cat videos and um, memes and you know all of this sort of thing using it for business instead and very tentatively stepping out of my comfort zone and saying this is my work and exposing it to the community and I worked with one family at the start who their young person who was 13 at the time um, went through the very infant stages of my program that's now a fully functioning program. Um, so kind of, you know, it was a bit, it was a bit of a guinea pig, you know, let's th I'm, I'm throwing, for lack of a better term, throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks right at the start. And it started working. All right. And I get the, the feedback from the young people. Is this working for you? How can I change it? All right, I'll, I'll tailor it. Um, and then I end up tailoring it to each 
young person and their unique strengths, their unique needs and goals, and the needs and goals of their family too. Um, and then that family tells another family. And then, you know, I, I felt a bit weird at first asking families, can you please write a review on my Facebook page? You know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but um, like the payment model versus the free model, it was all in the dialogue, all in the narrative and the rapport I was building in that family. And most of them were like, you don't even need to ask me. I was already going to do it. Okay, cool. Um, the inspiration behind that is not to go, oh, look at me, look at me. My work is so great, blah, 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 blah but to inspire other parents who might see mentorship and go, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then, and then, I don't know, just built organically. Um, and I think a big part of that is the way I present myself in the community to these parents, the way I talk to them, um, the, the way I'm so candid and um, casual with them as well. I connect with young people so well just because, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, to be honest, but it works. It's, it's worked, you know, I'm yet, I'm yet to meet a young person or a family that I haven't been able to connect with um, mm, because I, I show up and I'm, I'm real and I'm not, you know, that young people are such good bullshit detectors. Um, and if you're just living authentically and you're not reading off a script or trying to shoebox, you know, mould them into every other young person, then they like that, you know, um, and families are the same. They don't want to be talked at. They want to be included in that. You, br you bring them in. You don't keep them on the outside. Um, and I think that's what's made us very different. We're empowering these families by, um, look, I don't like saying educating them because that sounds a bit pompous, but sharing every single step of the way with them making them a part of the journey so that they're not just parents that they become mentors as well in that way mm. and so with your experience working with many different young people what are their need i know you work with different age groups like you've got four main programs i think it had um and yeah a lot of that I, lo I love how it kind of starts with relationship to themselves and relationship to the world like who are they in the world and knowing thyself um mm. is yeah it's such a powerful place to begin uh, um but yeah my question was around what are the needs for most young people these days what are they wanting what are they seeking mm. i think it's what you touched on there is that self-actualization um finding out their unique strengths and abilities um, in a world where everyone's trying to be different but end up all becoming the same. Um, I mean, the last 18 months has been dormant for them and a lot of young people have lost their, um, I don't know, lost their identity they've had the biggest time to explore who they are without their social circles, without school, um, and without a lot of the responsibilities that came with, um, you know, came in pre-lockdown, but without those social structures uh, within school, it's been good for some kids, but it's been, some, some kids thrive in those social aspects 
and they've had that taken away from them and put onto Zoom screens for 18 months, locked in, locked down, isolated, not being told by their parents, being told by the government, you can't see your friends. Um, so then comes that super existential crisis um, that a lot of young people already have. What is my place in the world? What's the place in my family? What's my place in the community? Exacerbated by that isolation, by that lockdown. So most of the young people I've worked with over the last 18 months, that's been the case. What's my role? Who am I without these structures in place? Who am I if I can't be around my friends? We live in such a fast world. Um, just to really drive home that emphasis, one of the young people I was working with was like, oh, you know, I didn't mind lockdown. Before lockdown, he found that life was like a fast-moving train, like a bullet train that wasn't stopping at any platform, so he could never board it. When lockdown hit, when COVID hit, he said the train finally docked at the station I was standing at and allowed me to hop on. Now I've just got to wait for it to take off again. And I went, wow, from the mouth of babes, eh? <laughs> that really hit me. I was like, that's so deep. And young people are, they're so deep. I just find they lack the confidence to share that depth or they lack the platform to be able to share that depth or they're, they're fearful that their friends might think they're nerdy or, um, you know, sensitive. It's like, it's all right to be sensitive. That's where a lot of our creativity comes from. Um, so they are, they're, they're, they're sort of a bit pruned like a bonsai tree. Um, and I think what mentorship does for them is takes off those little, those bindings and lets them grow into a, you know, a palm tree or a pine tree or a redwood, you know, that's what mentorship does. Mm. And um, you as the mentor, do you have any frameworks that you kind of work with because, or what do you, what's your ultimate goal for these young people? And do you, as a mentor kind of draw, you know, if they're sharing something, just as an example, if they're sharing something that's really challenging them in their lives or if they're dwelling on the, you know, depressive things in their lives, how do you as a mentor kind of find that balance where you don't want to entertain that and make it into an even bigger monster? You want to bring them back to the positive and make them feel good about themselves. What, what are the kind of, do you have any tools or tricks or frameworks that you use uh, for that or is it more organic? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is. It started off as organic, but as you know, my work, my body of work built, and it became more reinforced. I developed my own framework, which is called the narrative mentorship framework. So, right, but and it's been funny because I've been getting Facebook memories this last week of me and Money Youth Project in its infancy, um, going, oh, I'm gonna. I'm going to redesign Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, blah, blah, blah. And I'm almost done. This is in like 2018 or something. Um, but man, did I have a lot to learn and, and a lot of work. So only just recently did I actually accomplish that in its fullness and take Joseph Campbell's hero's journey um, and reframe it through the lens of youth transitional stages. 
Um, so in our framework, we look at um, those first four stages of the hero's journey, which is the young people living in the ordinary world in the status quo of family, community, society, school. Um, and they kind of just plot along. It's kind of like a bit of a flat one. They're just going by the paces, but that breeds um, a want for adventure, something bigger than themselves. So then comes the call to adventure, usually in stories like Lord of the Rings, you know, it's taking the ring to Mount Doom, to Mordor. Star Wars, it's, you know, going on this big grand adventure in space. Um, all these typical heroes who go, who get led into adventure. For young people these days in our modern world, it could be as hard, you know, something so um, hard as a suicide attempt or a drug overdose or the death of a friend from a car accident. This, all this sort of stuff, a call to adventure doesn't always have to be some big fantastical experience. It can be a moment of, of terror, fear, death, you know, death even, and rebirth. After that stage comes the refusal of the court. No, my comfort zone is too comforting. I'm safe. I'm at home with my parents. The outside world is scary. And young people and adults as well can be so easily caught in that savage cycle of the awareness of the status quo, the call to adventure, and then the fear of the refusal of the call. The mentor comes into that situation and goes, we're going on an adventure. <laughs> um, and there's two types of heroes in this world. I always tell my, you know, my students, those that are led to it through direct revelation or fate, and those that are thrown into it by circumstance and environment. Um, so that's our framework. And um, in that process, there's two really important things. One is the first threshold guardian, which in movies and popular media is usually, you know, the dragon in the cave or the metaphor of the cave or some thing they have to defeat to move forward. Um, unfortunately, these days, it can be parents even. <laughs> and the parents don't even know it. So their fears their needs, their wants for their young people sometimes get in the way of them seeking real help. And that is that can come across as what we were talking about before, constantly cycling them through these mainstream services but not getting anything out of it and scratching their heads wondering, well, what's happening? Why isn't this working? Um, and young people kind of have to move past that and go, no, I want this for myself. So one of the things in our programs, in our framework, at the start, sorry, at the start of every mentorship, we give them a blank journal. So, you know, just something like this, just a blank journal, um, nothing inside, blank slate, tabula rasa, you know. Um, and the journal kind of represents this permission to create, this permission to um, write poetry, write stories, write down their dreams, draw pictures, um, anything they want to fill it with. A lot of them scratch their heads and go, well, what in the hell do I do with this? This isn't an iPad or a phone, you know. Um, what do I put in it? So um, as we go through the weeks, we work on 
of the Monty. Um, we've got our, we've got us so our foundational Pathfinder program. We run our mentorships in six week cycles. The first one is called Pathfinders. It is a foundational process of learning all these things about themselves, their strengths and values, um, their sociograms, their roles and relationships in their life, which in the hero's journey is the allies and enemies, you know, that test of who's got my back and who's going to get in my way. Um, Ikigai, which is the Japanese philosophy of purpose, living purpose, um, and then tuning all of this into a moral compass, into a life code um, to bring it all together into this mantra so they can reflect when they feel like they're being inauthentic in life or going against their values. They've got this code to go, no, this is, this is what I live by. I'm not being authentic. I'm going to tune back into this. Um, and then we cap that off with a personal legend, which I was inspired by, by the author, Paul O'Carlo, who wrote, you know, uh, The Alchemist. Um, so that gives them a chance to take everything they've written in their journal, um, all the work that they've done and put it into this personal narrative that is kind of like their origin story. And then the whole question is, what's next? Is, is your story going to continue? Is it going to be a trilogy? Is it going to be an odyssey? Um, it's up to you, really, what it becomes. The, the, and then by the time they get to the end of that first program, they realise, hang on, I never needed that permission to express myself or to write my story or regain authorship over my own story. Um, I've always been empowered to do it. Nobody's told me I'm able to. Right. So that's very much the basis of our framework. It's a modern hero's journey. It is putting the power of authorship over, you know, into young people's hands again, um, where they may have never had it before. And it's also helping the parents maybe come to terms with, maybe I need to help them take that leap of faith by taking a leap of faith myself. So we empower parents and family members to act as that net for when young people reach those points of approach and ordeal how can we support them best rather than point fingers or um, i don't know blame other you know blame young people blame themselves blame other systems um i find if the parents are taken care of and supported then that just cycles back into the young people as well so yeah, that's so interesting. What it, I mean, I think that would be so useful for so many adults as well to work out their personal story and their, you know, their moral compass almost and to revisit that because I think in the world and the way the world's been, um, you know, the, the, the definitions of success and the definitions of what it means to, um, yeah, be successful in this society basically is sometimes at odds with our own personal happiness and joy. So redefining some of that sort of stuff and I just think, um, you know, for young people to have that opportunity to sit down and because um, owning their uniqueness and their own personal journey and their strengths and yeah, amazing, amazing, and mm. a lot of us, a lot of us would benefit from that too. Um, so, what do you think? One of this is my kind of last question. What do you think? One of the young people that have worked with you, how do you think they would kind of explain to their mates um, what they do with you? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that I mean. At, at, at the start, I guess it would seem 
maybe daggy to young people to have a mentor, like until we redefine, uh, until they get into it and they realize, you know, this guy's like like Gandalf or you know I've been called Gandalf, Obi Wan Kenobi, all sorts of stuff, um, and then they they feel empowered. So my hope is to that they that the young people do talk to their friends and their friends talk to their parents. And that has happened before. There's a video on our website right on the front, pra- uh, front page of our very first men- mentee um, talking about what mentorship is, you know, versus what he's used to. Um, and it's pretty cool. He's, he's pretty candid. He's pretty, you know, chilled out. Um, yeah, you know, it is, I think it's, it's introduce, just introducing young people to um, positive archetypes and role models in their community beyond their parents um, and linking the right mentees up with the right mentors is so important um, and but also to have that young person recognized and honored in the wider community and society because there's such a big um, bridge in our you know a huge gap in our community intergenerational gap where there's a lot of older people in the community who just see young people and go you know little little shits or you know they're always causing trouble or vandalizing and stuff but they don't realize that you know these young people need leadership and it's going to come from the older people in our community up older you know not just the young mentees and not just the parents in our community but the elders in our community, the storytellers of, you know, ancient times have lost that role, that defined role in our community. And it's a missing link in their lives where they've become a bit jaded with life, become a bit jaded with young people. And look, I'll be honest, I don't always sing the praises of young people. There are young people out there (laughs) who I, I have trouble backing up and saying, you know just being kids you know but you know in the face of social media there's so many adults out there who are just very vehement towards young people who get behind their keyboards on facebook groups and pages and say the most absolutely horrible horrendous things and i can't help myself sometimes i've got i've got a comment um you know, i comment with stuff like well if you're using that language and talking that way about young people, why should they respect your business? Why should they respect you if you're going to yell at them and berate them in the street? Um, why shouldn't they swear at you and call you a dickhead or, or much worse things? Um, they template. They, they don't have any templates in the community, in society, of how they should act. So without these proper mentorships and leaders and rights of passage at important parts of their lives then they're going to create their own um, rights of passage and most of them are going to be dangerous and most of these in, you know initiations are going to create small gangs and sub countercultures of young people carrying knives and um, vandalizing and get putting themselves into extremely dangerous and sometimes fatal situations because they haven't been introduced to anything else. So my hope for young people 
the more I work with them and the more mentors I train in the community, which we're starting to do now, the more we can link young people in. And then the more those young people can feel a sense of pride, not, about, not just about themselves, but about their journey and how they can inspire and stoke that fire in their friends, in other young people, or maybe they'll just even walk away from their existing social circles, which is one of the, the scariest things for them, um, and create new friends. So that's our hope with our Rites of Passage that we're hopefully running in 2022, that the groups of 10 young people who have been in our program come and do this Rites of Passage with their guardians, whether that's their mum, their dad, a mentor, if their parents aren't present or involved in their lives, um, and they get recognised, their gifts get recognised, their strengths, um, their stories, their experiences, and they share that together. And they go out into the community and we let them know. The more Money Youth Project grows, the more awareness we have in the community, the more we can show up and um, show up for these young people and advocate for them and say, maybe that young person is the best candidate for that job. Maybe you can give this young person a chance. And maybe even if you've had a run-in with this young person before, don't let that stop you from giving them a chance because they've been on a rights of passage, they've gone through the work, they've gone through a mentorship to overcome all of those things. Give them a chance. That's all they need sometimes. And the community recognises them and goes, yay, and they sing their praises. And there could be some really strong, long-term and consistent connections intergenerationally in our community. Thanks, Rick. Thanks so much for sharing all that wisdom and the way you work and um, you know what young people are wanting. I think it's really um, inspiring and yeah, it, it really, young people have so much to offer. And I think if there's not those positive uh, role models in their lives, it, they can, you know, be misled. Um, yep. You know, if, if, they, um, if they're not kind of called to be, or if there's, you know, ideally we'd be able to see the brilliance in ourselves, but it helps so much for someone else to point that out sometimes and identify it. And it sounds like a lot of the work that you do is, directing them back to themselves because they have all the answers, but drawing out that creativity and that that's, you know, those gifts that they're here to offer on earth. So mm. I think that's super inspiring. And, um, you know, I'd personally love to get involved in any way possible yeah. with a project like that, because I think, um, you know, that the most impact that I've personally had, and I think that can be had is on young people that are, you know, basically seeking and looking for direction and what they can become you know in that that very those very mm -hmm. tender teenage years and beyond where people are still trying to find their identity so thank you and you've inspired uh, something in me to instigate mm -hmm. more talks and things That's at cool. the high schools and and you know public speaking opportunities to really inspire those young people because mm. I, I absolutely love doing that. And I think even, you know, that you providing an opportunity for people to be mentors for young people, I'm sure so, so many people would love to do that. So and even, even, you know, even if we do these, these mentor training workshops 
and they they don't necessarily have an intention right away to become a mentor or volunteer with Mana Youth Project or become a fully fledged mentor with their own mentees. Um, they are turned onto something completely new that they can utilize in whatever position. And if they spread that and they make impact positively on young people's lives, then I'm good with that. That that sits well with me. Um, the reason the narrative mentorship framework works is because metaphor, narrative metaphor, and all the imagery that that brings with it, and you know, linking it with popular media, video games, movies, TV shows, books, their favorite heroes, favorite characters, they can relate to that. That really speaks to young people more than doing push-up challenges or going for a run you know for for mental health it's like how are you going to positively impact the world not, not that there's anything wrong with that don't get me wrong but I think young people are bored with all of that mainstream stuff and they want to be inspired not only in their waking life but to make such an impact in their lives as a mentor that they start dreaming and seeing themselves as the protagonist in their lives and not just a side character mm. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your beautiful creation with us. And, um, yeah, I'm keen to share this out with people because there's probably so many people that would be into it. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming yes. on the podcast. And thank you for the opportunity and the, and the jam. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to our Inspiring Humans podcast and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any inspiring human in mind that you would like to nominate, please reach out and let us know. Also, you're very welcome to become part of our Facebook group called Inspiring Humans, where you can connect with incredible people from around the globe. Uh, thirdly, if you are interested in being part of a global network, we have an incredible community at sevencontinentscouncil.com, where we hold events, programs, and many different initiatives that you can be involved in. Thank you and see you again soon.